Hey everyone, uh, Michael here. Uh, before I start today's uh, Q&A show, uh, just a quick little logistical announcement, I suppose. Uh, we've uh, done our best over the years to bring you a show every Thursday, every Thursday morning. That's what we were aiming for. Um, but uh, given Andrew and my schedules the last little bit, um, what uh, we will do is we'll do our, our level best to give you a show every week. Um, but we may not be able to bring it to you on uh, on Thursday morning as usual. So um, thank you for your patience and thank you especially to those folks who uh, have been supporting us on Patreon uh, from you know the bottom of our hearts. We really do appreciate it. It does you know show that you care and that you listen. And, and maybe more importantly than any of that stuff is that you find what we do valuable. Um, so to those folks especially, thank you for uh, bearing with us and your patience. And uh, today's show, as you no doubt are noticing, is coming a little bit later than usual, but uh, it is here nonetheless. And it will be a Q&A show. There will be two questions. The first uh, comes from uh, our dear friend Michael Erickson of That Triathlon Show. And uh, more than likely, if you're listening to this show, you are already aware of That Triathlon Show uh, and are probably a listener. And if you're not, you go definitely check it out. It's, uh, It's an excellent one. And the second question is one that I've been asked uh, more times than I can count probably, um, but most recently is when I was a guest on the Performance Advantage podcast where we were talking about aerodynamics and the hosts wanted to know at what point does it make sense to go to a uh, triathlon bike versus a road bike? And I know it's a topic that we've covered in the past. It's It was one of our very first episodes and I'll link to it here. But uh, I want to share some, some real world numbers of yours truly um, on that very question. So that's today's show with a little bit of a long intro. So let's uh, jump right in. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Okay, so the very first question was, uh, like I said, from... uh, Uh, Our friend and fellow podcaster, fellow coach, Michael Erickson of That Triathlon Show. And Michael was asking uh, about wearing hats in hot conditions. So when is it beneficial to wear a hat in a race and why? Uh, Specifically at an athlete doing a a very warm race where it was going to be, the forecast was going to be in the low 30s Celsius um, and it was in the middle of the day. And uh, likely there wasn't going to be too much shade in that particular event. So what Michael wanted to know were the benefits of wearing the hat, uh, whether or not it really makes a difference. Uh, I put the question to our (laughs) resident thermodynamicist, Andrew, uh, and uh, I can report that Andrew's still crunching those numbers. But uh, as the question was a little bit time sensitive for Michael, I uh, I wrote my sort of off the cuff response uh, based on my understanding of the physics. And uh, here's what I came up with. So this is, uh, let's say, let's call this the beginning of the answer. And maybe, uh, not maybe, but uh, more than likely, Andrew can shed more light on this uh, on this topic, and that pun is very much intended. So here's uh, here's what I thought. Here's what I started with. Um, I remember hearing, and this again came from Andrew, that uh, a cyclist in the middle of the day in the summer, 
um, receives something in the like 200 watts of thermal energy from the sun, uh, which is quite a bit of uh, thermal energy influx. If we think about, let's say, uh, you know, if if you think back to any of our thermal topics, uh, thermal podcast topics, um, we're roughly as cyclists 25% efficient on the on the high side. So if you're holding you know, let's say 200 watts of mechanical power. So that's what's going into your pedals. Your body is actually producing roughly 800 watts. That's what it means to be to be 25% efficient. And of course, that 800 watts is all waste heat, right? It's all heat. Uh, that's that's thermodynamics for you. So we got to dissipate 800 watts. So now if on top of that, you're also in the middle of the day and receiving 200 watts from the sun, you know, that makes up uh, 25, that adds, let's say 25% more thermal energy that now you have to your body has to figure out a way to deal with so 200 watts is a big add to your body in the middle of the day um uh, but that's for a cyclist and that's somebody obviously with a a slightly inclined torso um now we're talking about wearing hats obviously you're only going to wear a hat when you are running uh now you have a vertical torso uh, in noonday sun you know you're if the sun is directly overhead it's primarily striking you on the bean and on your shoulders, so the hat will cover your head, uh, but the torso is less of a factor. So it's safe to say that for a runner, the incident or the incoming um, radiant uh, thermal energy is going to be lower than 200 watts, but it's still not going to be insignificant. So wearing a hat, especially a hat that is a, you know, a light reflective material, um, light by being color light, like a white or similar color, um, that's going to reflect most of the uh, incident thermal uh, radiant energy is uh, is going to reduce the amount that you receive on your body. Um, but then the trade-off is going to be how is it going to affect the, uh, the heat transfer that's coming off of your body. That's your body trying to shed heat. Um, the vast majority, of course, of that cooling that I just mentioned is go- is going to be evaporative heat transfer, and this is something that Andrew and I have talked about quite at length about. And the efficacy of that heat transfer is massively dependent on whether that sweat evaporates on the skin or on fabric uh, that is immediately next to skin. So, you know, think of your triathlon skin suit. Uh, if that skin suit's wet and the water from that uh, skin suit, whether it's, you know, wet because you just got out of the water or wet from your own sweat or wet from somebody hosing you with a garden hose or you dumping water over your head. If that evaporates in the fabric of that skin suit, uh, chances are that a lot of the energy that's used in that evaporation is going to come from your skin, which is exactly what you want, which is exactly why evaporative heat transfer is so very, very good at pulling heat away from the body. Um, but if that water, instead of evaporating on the skin or in the skin suit, or in this case, the hat, if it instead drips off as a little droplet of water and, uh, you know, ends up on the, uh, uh, on the tarmac, that, does, that carries away very, very little thermal energy, right? So you want it to evaporate on you or very near you um, and not drip off. So let's think a little bit about the factors affecting whether or not that, uh, that moisture is going to evaporate off of you or if it's going to bead up and drip off of you. Um, primarily, there are two components to this thinking, the two drivers. One is relative humidity and one is airflow, right? Airflow past you. 
So evaporative heat transfer is going to be most effective when the air is dry, so low relative humidity, and it's windy. And wind matters because uh, a greater wind or a greater airflow past you um, actually increases the concentration gradient between the air that's immediately next to your skin or your clothing, which has very high relative humidity because it's wet, you know, if you're sweating, uh, and the air around it. So the, the more the air around you moves, the more that, that you're going to get sort of that drier air coming in close to your skin and being able to pull that moisture from your skin away. And of course, uh, relative humidity matters because it's going to be much, much easier for that water to evaporate off of your skin or off of your clothing when the air surrounding it is drier. So the flip side, of course, is if it's calm and there's no wind, obviously you're running, so there's going to be always some wind. But if it's calm otherwise and the air is quite humid, then the um, the the rate of that evaporative heat transfer is going to be slower, so it's going to be less effective. So if we get back to Michael's original question, um, my my kind of uh, you know back of the napkin advice would be: if it's sunny and it's dry and it's windy, that is definitely a good time for a hat. And it's and it's hot. You know you, you want uh, you want some you want to improve heat transfer. Then a hat is a really good idea, especially if this hat is uh, designed to you know pull the moisture away from your skin and uh, let it evaporate while it's still quite close to the skin. Of course, how close that hat material is to the skin very much depends on how follicularly gifted you happen to be. So if you're uh, if you don't have too much hair up uh, up on your scalp, or if that hair is very is cut very short, or very close to your to the skin, uh, or shaved completely, then there's a very good opportunity for uh, heat transfer and sweat transfer between the scalp and the hat, and for when that sweat evaporates off the the hat material uh, for the benefits of that to be transferred to the the skin of the scalp. Um, But if you are, uh, you know, if you've got flowing locks uh, and there's a lot of hair in between the the skin and the hat, then um, perhaps you are not going to get too much heat transfer because you're you you know hair is an is an excellent insulator, especially if there's a a layer of fabric over it. Um, And and for those people, the benefits of wearing a hat perhaps are diminished. Uh, but then again, they have natural protection from the sun in the form of that hair to begin with. Um, one other thing that's kind of nice about hats is that you can always stick some ice underneath a hat uh, that you pick up in an aid station. And that is, uh, that's a nice uh, potentially, you know, it's, it's adding a little bit of uh, heat transfer that's not coming from evaporation, which is very effective, but it's actually coming from the melting of ice, which is also another very effective, uh, you know, heat transfer strategy, and also one we've we've talked about in the past. So that was my my hedged answer to to Michael. Uh, sunny, dry, wear a hat. Overcast, humid. Eh, I would say it's probably a wash. But uh, you know, to put a fine point on it, I still want to wait for Andrew's more scientific answer on that one. So the second question was, when does it make sense to ride uh, a tri-bike versus a road bike? And this is kind of like the classic question of uh, how much do you give up when you go from a road bike to a tri-bike in terms of um, power production? And I'll speak to that versus how much do you gain in aero drag? Um, So this is a kind of a very complicated question with a lot of uh, caveats and, you know, it depends uh, but uh, I'll use a, a fairly 
narrow example, and I'll use myself because I've done aerodynamic testing on myself, um, both in on both in a road bike and my tri bike. I also have a very good idea, again for for me personally, and I'll explain where my numbers come from of the the metabolic cost, let's say of. Uh, that's not exactly right. The my power the the hit that my power production takes when I'm in the aero position versus my ability to produce power when I'm sitting upright on a road bike or with my hands on the hoods. Uh, so I have I have for me a fairly good uh, basis for comparison. So I can make this determination for myself. Um, it's obviously an n equals one case study. Uh, if you want a very you know if you are interested in uh, an accurate number for yourself. Um, you would need to know how much of a hit you take in power production, which can be done through metabolic testing uh, on one bike versus the other, and then aero testing um, to see how much of a of a gain you get in aerodynamic drag reduction when you go from that road bike to the tri bike. So let's use me. Um, let's start with the the power side of things. So I've been playing around with this a lot lately, kind of swapping between my tri bike and my road bike. My tri bike had to go in for some repairs. I cooked the bottom bracket, which is you know something that obviously happens fairly frequently. Um, and uh, I was riding my road bike, and I noticed immediately I had more power, even though I've been training a lot on the tri bike. Um, how much more power? Uh, my, I, I kind of flaked on doing the, uh, <laughs> the proper power test, but, uh, uh, my guess based on just, uh, perceived exertion and my ability to generate top end power was at threshold. I was probably around 15 Watts more, uh, on the road bike compared to the, uh, the, the tri bike, uh, for reference, I was probably around three Oh five, um, for threshold. This was my estimated threshold compared to two ninety. Uh, on the on the tri bike and the 290 was actually a measured uh, a measured kind of uh, th- FTP and uh, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of how I define FTP. There's some really good references on this, uh, but if you're curious, listeners, I'll give you my my two cents. Just send me a note. So roughly 15 15 watts at threshold difference between the two positions, and um, and so I was curious how would that compare to you know let's say actual race performance because at the end of the day nobody really cares except for maybe you and your your Instagram account um, what your FTP is um, you know it, what's what, what counts is how quickly you can get around a bike course in a race uh, and maybe nobody cares about that either but you know that's a, <laughs> that's a deeper topic that uh, <laughs> I'm not going to discuss here. So I did some aero testing with AeroTune, which I've talked about uh, quite a bit. Uh, this, these are numbers from last summer. So on my aero uh, road bike, in you know, not wearing really a, a skin suit or anything, so wearing uh, regular clothes. So this does factor in a little bit. Uh, but this was a fairly tight-fitting jersey, but not a triathlon speed suit. Um, uh, I could get down to about uh, 28.7 aero points or 0.287 uh, CDA on the road bike. Um, and then on the tri bike, without being super optimized, but uh, probably pretty close to where I was in terms of position on that bike, I got to 24.5 aero points or 0.245. So there's still work to be done there, but uh, that's still a substantial difference. So that's the difference in CDA. But as I said earlier, uh, you know, I would say people care about your CDA even less than they care about your FTP. Uh, all that matters is how quickly you can get, uh, uh, you know, you can get around that bike course. Um, so what I did was uh, I uh, punched in Ironman Arizona for uh, for sake of comparison um, in terms of uh, 
you know, speeds, uh, because one of the nice things that uh, AeroTune will do is uh, it'll let you do some uh, some time and power and speed calculations. Um, so for the Arizona bike course, which is known to be pretty quick, uh, with similar conditions, um, I used a, a a power average of 200 watts for the the tri position and 210 watts for the um, the road position. Uh, I know I said I had a 15 watt delta in threshold power, but of course, as as we're riding at, you know, I, I picked 200 watts as a fairly safe, uh, you know, power target. It's kind of in the, you know, the high 60s percentage points of FTP. Um, so 200 watts on the on the tri bike, I could get around the course in five hours, three minutes, and 36 seconds, and in the road bike, it would take me five hours and uh, 14 minutes and 46 seconds. So five fifteen almost. So the difference being uh, 11 minutes, more than 11 minutes between the two, even at the higher power on the road bike. So even though I, you know, roughly speaking, I could uh, with the same level of uh, comfort, probably the similar heart rate, although higher metabolic cost, because higher power means higher metabolic cost uh, in terms of straight up calories. Um, even though for the same kind of feel, I could do it on the road bike. Um, you know, I could produce more power on the road bike. I would still be 11 minutes slower. And 11 minutes is a lot of time, right? Um, so uh, clearly, clearly, clearly in a course like Arizona, for me, it's a no-brainer to, to ride the tri-bike. Now, you know, we're not splitting any any atoms in saying this, uh, that a tri-bike is almost always going to be faster, but it's nice to put some numbers to it. So for me... Uh, adjusting for power, 11-minute delta on Arizona. Uh, obviously, individual results will vary, but it, it, curiously, and we've talked about this in the past as well, um, for folks who are slower, you actually get a bigger time delta because you're on the course for longer. So it's, you know, even though the speed difference is, is going to be smaller, the overall time is going to, the overall time savings in the aero position is going to be larger. The, the other really important caveat, and I, I promised I would get back to this when I mentioned it earlier in my spiel, is the fact that I would say, in my experience um, with, with coaching folks, I would say that I'm fairly well adapted to the, to the tri-bike. Um, so if you think about the difference in my uh, power at FTP of, of 15 watts, or, you know, at a roughly around 300 FTP, that's 5%. Um, I've definitely seen people with a smaller Delta and I've heard from, from folks who are, you know, who spend much, much more time on the bike than I do that, uh, that theirs is smaller. And obviously these are, you know, time trial specialists or triathlon specialists who have a smaller Delta than five, 5% rather. Um, but I've also seen it much, much higher. So if you're someone who is, uh, who always rides a road bike, um, and then wants to borrow a tri bike for the race, that's probably going to be that difference for you is going to be much, much higher. In fact, this was actually the very case on the, on the podcast that I was on where one of the hosts was, uh, uh, that was his experience with a triathlon he did where he, uh, he'd been riding his road bike and then he borrowed a TT bike for the triathlon and he had a, uh, let's just say he had a bad time <laughs> of it because he just wasn't adapted to the position at all. And he was, he felt his, uh, his power was, you know, severely compromised. Um, and that's, of course, that's the case. And, you know, if you're going to try something new for race day, which we're told from, you know, from our racing infancy is, is, is the one is the cardinal rule that you must never break. Um, so that's the extreme case. 
Um, and I would say that, you know, in my case, I'm fairly well adapted. But even if I was, you know, you know even if the Delta was 7%, I would still be faster on that tri bike than on the road bike. Um, and now we have some numbers to prove it. And uh, I actually think that I probably have some room to improve. And I know for a fact, actually, let me rephrase. I know for a fact that I have some room to improve my uh, my CDA and my tri bike. So that uh, that difference could could grow even further. All right, folks, uh, another fairly short episode for you today. That's all I got. Uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Um, give us a, uh, a rating and a review on iTunes if you like what you hear. Uh, consider also becoming one of those folks that does support us on Patreon. Uh, and we'll be back next week with another show of uh, Endurance Innovation for you. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.